After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you have for the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have given to me, so that they may be one as we are one. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are so reviled, for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves, keep alert, like a roaring lion, your adversity, adversary, the devil, prowl, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This past month, I was quite surprised when I received the newest copy of the Christian Century. For those unfamiliar, Christian Century is like the preeminent journal magazine for United States mainline churches and pastors. And unfortunately, I think I put it in my recycling bin, so I don't have it to show for you today. But I was quite um, surprised when I saw on the cover of the Christian Century magazine tarot cards with the, the headline reading tarot's draw. Now for those not conservative raised like myself, I need a good scandalous, oh, no, okay. One more time, give me a big, oh, there we go, that was good. Thank you, I feel better now. As someone who grew up in a very conservative Christian context, I found this story quite odd and borderline inappropriate, oh, to say the least. I was raised during the so-called satanic panic of the 1980s and 90s. Does anyone, anyone remember that at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of us, yeah. So for those younger or unfamiliar, 
This was this moral panic that arose during, like I said, the late 80s and early 90s, during which Christians began to fear this pervasive and invasive and unstoppable demonic presence in everything from books to music to psychology to culture at large. And I was young during the heyday of the satanic panic, so to speak. But the thing I remember was this obsession with rock music. Does anyone remember that? Yes. I remember, like, in youth group, watching this video about how, like, all these bands were just, like, you play the music backwards, <laughs> and it's like this, like, satanic prayer or ritual, or I don't know what it was. Um, obviously, tarot cards were a no-no. And then other board games, I'm still too freaked out to say the name of the other board game, but shh. Those were forbidden too. Now, personally, I've never experienced anything freaky because I never go anywhere near that stuff. Stay 10 feet away. Those fear tactics were quite effective for me. But I did hear stories, and I know that for some people that stuff really bothers them. So back when I was a hospital chaplain, we were encouraged to bring in and share with our fellow chaplain group uh, rituals, practices that were important to us in whatever faith tradition we came from. And being that this was an interfaith chaplain group, not all the prayers or rituals or practices shared with the group were from the Christian tradition. So one day, a woman who had uh, practiced within indigenous and pagan rituals and practices, she brought in a deck of tarot cards. <gasps> really, Steve is just a, he is just a treasure, is he not? Oh my goodness. Like, what a great choir director. <laughs> so she brings in this deck of tarot cards, and I'm like, you know, Inside, I'm doing Steve again. Inside, I'm doing that. But, you know, trained as a good chaplain to keep it cool, keep it calm. Because, you know, as, as chaplains, we walk into some pretty crazy stuff sometimes. Um, so I'm trying to keep it cool, calm, collected with the rest of my group. It's curious. And people start um, passing these cards around and looking at them. And then, interestingly enough, one woman, she was actually staunchly Catholic, but very open-minded. She starts reading from the back of one of these cards, or reading from one of these cards. And at that point, another member of the group, she just stands up, she's like, I, I can't be here, I have to leave, I have to get out of this room. So as you can imagine, it was quite the tumultuous, unsettling, disruptiveness to our group and our group kind of ethos and culture. Because this first woman had been very kind of brave and bold and shared something that was important to her from her spiritual practices. And then another woman, who knows, for perhaps with her own bad experiences, trauma, whatever, had just said, no, I can't be a part of this, and left the room. Again, very upsetting and disruptive to our kind of group culture. So in a separate conversation with this woman who had brought the deck of cards, I shared with her, you know, I was raised in a tradition in which those things were off limits. And anything, any kind of conversation around ghosts or spirits or demons, anything like that was considered out of bounds. 
So I shared that with her, but I said, you know, I do want to be supportive and curious uh, where I can be. So it was interesting because a few weeks later, I was meeting with a woman on the fourth floor of our hospital, and she was talking to me about how she was at night seeing spirits and shadows, you know, throughout the hallways and in her room. And again, part of me is like, yeah, whatever. But then the other part of me is like, I've known that during that time period, during the weeks prior to her stay, that floor had seen like an unexpected amount of like deaths. Because with COVID, the hospital was full and high acuity, very sick patients were getting moved to, to that floor, which is not really equipped or trained for that level of sickness or acuity. And there kept being these unexpected deaths on that floor to the point that weeks, again, weeks prior, the nurses on that floor had actually asked some of our chaplains to go bless some of these rooms that these people were dying in. So when she said to me, oh, I'm seeing shadows and ghosts, part of me was like, oh, whatever. But part of me was like, oh, maybe, right? Maybe she is. So for me, when, it, when, when conversation arises around demons or devils, my attitude tends to be one of cautious skepticism or cautious belief depending on the day. Recently, someone actually asked me, Lauren, what do you believe about all this stuff? And I said, really, really depends on the day. Now, I don't know if evil spirits or demonic possession is real, but I also, again, from my background, I am not going to tempt that stuff. I am going to stay far away. But also, as a product of the Enlightenment and as a mainline, well-educated uh, Protestant pastor, I've been taught that when I read the Bible and see things about demonic possession or evil spirits, that it is a pre-modern understanding of what we might call mental health, mental illness, um, systemic injustice, all these kind of things that we've kind of rationalized in our modern scientific context. So meaning when we read in the Bible about Jesus casting out demons or whatever, my brain is trained to think that Jesus is helping someone overcome a mental illness or mental mental breakdown. Or when I read about Satan in the Bible, I'm trained to think that, oh, you know what? That's just giving evil and systemic evil. That's just personifying systemic evil and injustice. It's not a real entity. So I find myself, and perhaps you do too, find yourself in an odd place when we read verses like was read this morning about the devil walking around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. I mean, what do, we, what do we even do with that? Like, I don't know about you, but I don't see an angry, evil lion roaming around. You know, several years ago, when I was a young 20-something, I remember my friends being really obsessed with this verse. Like, ooh, the devil is roaming around like a lion, seeking to get you, seeking to devour you. And I remember, like, myself going to my pastor being, what do I even do with this? What, what do I make sense of this? How do, I, how do I even know how to compute this? And my pastor said to me, he said, Lord, you know, I don't know if there's a literal devil, a literal Satan out there. But what I do know, he said, is that there are people, there are systems, there are entities 
who could care less about you, who don't want you to succeed, and would be happy if you and your relationships failed. This is perhaps the hardest thing, I think at least, about growing up. As children, and even somewhat as teenagers, most of us are fortunate enough to be in a safe and protected environment in which most of those around us, and perhaps all those in our circles, care for us and protect us and want us to do well. Yet as we grow into adulthood and go out on our own, we quickly find out that the world can be a harsh and uncaring place. And truly, maybe today with the advent of social media, you know, you young people, you already know it. And I, I pray that's not the case, but it may be this, may be a reality with, with social media and the presence that it has in our lives today. One way or another, I think we will all come to a point in which we will recognize whether or not there is a literal lion, a literal devil out to destroy us, there are, in fact, people, systems, and situations which will deeply hurt and harm us. As those of us in the room who have, have a few more years of experience, we might say, than those are graduates here, we can all attest from our experience that as these graduating seniors, as you as you graduating seniors make your way into college and out into the world, there will be fellow students who perhaps because of their own hurt and trauma will want to see you suffer as well. There will be people who can't figure out their own relationships, so they'll want to see your relationships fail as well. There'll be employers and companies and corporations you work for which will care less about your mental health, your well-being, your overall existence as a human being so long as you are contributing to the bottom line. In many ways, we're seeing this crisis play out in real time here. Among college students surveyed in recent years, more than 60% had one or more mental health challenge a 50% increase, listen to that, a 50% increase from just a few years back. Depression, anxiety, addiction, suicidal thoughts, all these are very real and present challenges for our young adults and college students in our lives and in our world. So whether we call it mental health, evil spirit, something else, one thing for sure I think we can all agree on is whether or not it's literal or metaphorical, there are indeed hungry lions out to devour our college students and young adults and our youth. And amidst this mental health crisis and challenges with limited resources and increasing stress, what can we do about it? How can we support the youth, college students, and young adults in our lives? And how can we as young adults, graduates, youth, make our way through this proverbial minefield? Today we are indeed celebrating our graduates. We're commissioning them and commemorating them for their accomplishments thus far, wishing them a fond farewell as they move into the summer months and transition into college. 
What we did today, what we do today, is not so unlike what we read in our Bibles today from John 17 and 1 Peter. The text read, it was Luke who read it, right? Luke read that? Oh, Ashton, I'm sorry. As Ashton so wonderfully read this morning from John 17, John 17 is from the section of Scripture known as the Farewell Discourse. It's a long passage of Scripture. Ashton should be thankful we didn't have him read the whole thing. Three chapters, John 14 through 17, in which Jesus is addressing his disciples immediately after the Last Supper. He's giving them all sorts of advice, praying for them, interestingly enough, also praying for his future disciples, we might say you and I. And then in 1 Peter, which Anna read, got that right, right? In 1 Peter, those last few lines are uh, from a letter Peter or somebody writing on Peter's behalf had written to Christians wishing them well. So again, in these last few lines from Peter, he's wishing Christians well, giving them advice as they go into the future, as they move forward in their lives. As one scholar said, this letter from Peter is offering guidance to people who live in a sometimes hostile world. Sounds familiar? It's offering instructions to the old and the young for how to handle suffering and challenge. I know that for many of us, the Bible or religion and faith isn't something that comes to mind immediately when we think about tools for addressing mental health. However, I believe that faith can play a vital role in supporting our well-being and our wellness. Now, I don't mean to say that we should disregard counseling or prescription medicine when appropriate. These are important and necessary tools. But our faith, especially for young adults, can be a vital support in our well-being, which scientific research affirms. From the, from the Deseret News, college students struggling with mental health, more access to religion can help. From the Mary Christie Institute, religion can be a particularly important help to college students when fear and uncertainty abound. From the Journal of New Ideas in Psychology, several studies seem to suggest that religion is an important way to have meaning and purpose in life, as well as a sense of well-being. Moreover, religious experiences have often coexisted with positive mental health. To me, it's clear that our faith can be something that can give ourselves and our students support, meaning, purpose, and stability in life especially when life seems overwhelming. I know, again, when we think about the Bible, we don't think about something that can support us and give us direction. But again, I think about Scripture as something that's been around for 2,000 years, that's been guiding and supporting people of faith like us going through struggles for 2,000 years. More in some cases. So this morning on this Senior Sunday, as we celebrate our graduates... I want to ask each of you adults in the room, and perhaps youth as well, to pray for these graduates, to pray for them as they move forward into their lives. 
for our young adults already in college and still in college, for those recently graduated from college and moving forward themselves into the world, even for our youth still in school. Let's follow the example of Jesus who prayed for his disciples, prayed for us, and pray for these, our young people. You know, I've been reading, I feel like story after story about the challenges that our young people face. And one day when I was working on gathering the supplies for these gifts, I felt really compelled just to pray for these graduates. So Reverend Sandy and myself, we sat down and we held the cards congratulating Ashton and Anna and Emily and Lola and Emily and Luke, and we prayed for you. We sat right here and we prayed for these young people because we have just a sense of the struggles that you all will face. And we know there'll be times in your life as you go into college and into your career that it'll be hard and challenging and, and very difficult. We want to pray for you and continue to pray for you and know that this church is with you and God is with you. So as this church community, members of Wash Park, members and folks of Wash Park United Methodist Church, I want to encourage you to make your love and support tangibly known to these young students as we move into the future. A card, a letter, a text can even go a long way to support them. And for you graduates, Ashton, Anna, Emily, Emma, Luke, and Lola, I want to remind you to not leave your faith behind. Don't forget to pack it in your belongings as you take all that stuff to your university or college or new place of residence. Now, I don't want you to, you don't need to be like some religious nut job or Bible thumper, but I encourage you to find a church, a campus ministry, or even simply make space to have conversations with a friend, with someone you can trust about your faith, your feelings, what's going on in your life. And remember that God is there for you. This church, we are here for you. And when life feels overwhelming, again, like the scriptures say, we can cast our cares upon God because God cares for us. I'm saying all this because A, it's important to me and I want you all to remember that. But also I'm saying this because I've experienced this myself in my own life. As perhaps you might laugh at your parents because they've said the same thing to you. We were your age once, right? And in my times of doubt, uncertainty, loneliness and pain, God has been there for me. In my struggles and in my questions, my faith has been something I can lean into and lean on. And in times when I questioned everything, even the very existence of God, God was still there for me. And God will still be there for you too. So I don't want you to ever forget that. In this world, I believe we are indeed in the midst of a genuine struggle with forces who are just as dangerous, as threatening, and as mobile as a ravenous lion. But with the help of the one inside you and with the support of those around you, you can overcome. Because as the scriptures say, greater is he that is within you than that which is in the world.
Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your presence, for your love and support, for the gift of community. We pray this morning, God, for Emma and Ashton and Anna and Emily, Lola and Luke. God, guide their steps, be with them and support them as they make their way into the future. God, be with our youth, be with our young people in this church and in our wider circles. Support them and love them. You know the struggles they face, God. Help us to be support to them in the days ahead and years ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.